Left-handed shot, way to the left wing side. Cuts to the middle. In on goal. Deeks stopped by Joseph Wall. The Leafs win it in a shootout. Max Domi's the hero. Joseph Wall shuts the door. Now McMahon pushes it ahead for Morgan Riley. Jumping into the rush is David Camp. Left wing side. Score! The Leafs fourth line chips it in. Noah Gregor. Ten seconds left. McMahon gets the puck out, fitting that the fourth line is going to be on the ice to salute the victory. And it's off to Sweden they go. It's Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan band. It's Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs get to enjoy a, what, six-hour flight to Sweden today as they take all four points against the Flames and Canucks over uh, the weekend. And the brief little crisis put in... The rearview mirror for at least a little bit. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. They played the two best hockey games of the season, or at least one of them, and uh, now they get to take five days off after sitting on a bird for way, way too long to go over to Sweden for reasons. But, hey, good Monday morning, everybody. Awesome, awesome Leaf wins. I'm so happy they're able to use this momentum that they built up after getting out of that crit. Oh, wait, they don't. They just get to go rot over in Sweden eating mm. reindeer or whatever Josh Cloak was talking to us about it last week. But awesome weekend for the Leafs. It was uh, four points important. And, and Friday, Max Domi got his, his most memorable moment as a Toronto, I believe, despite the fact that it doesn't count as a real goal. He gets the shootout goal. Oh, all right, Friday. I was thinking the Saturday, the thing he had probably been dreaming about doing since oh, he was that too. six years old. I mean, quite a 20 or uh, 48 hours for Max Domi. But yeah, Saturday was... Maybe the most complete game this Leafs team has played all season long mm-hmm. against a Vancouver Canucks team that came in red hot, the highest scoring team among the Canadian teams uh, in the NHL. I believe the highest scoring team in the NHL. They were going into that game for sure, yeah. Maybe not anymore. As the Maple Leafs, for the first time all season long, do not allow four goals in a hockey game on home ice. Um, they don't allow a five-on-five goal with Ilya Samsonov in net. They notably have John Klingberg back in the lineup, but quite notably mm-hmm. don't have Ryan Reeves in yes. the lineup. And 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 you heard Joe Bowen on the call there talk about, ah, it'd be very fitting to have the fourth line on, on the ice as the Maple Leafs complete the, uh, the complete victory 60 minutes long. The fourth line kind of, I don't know, if, maybe I'm starting the, the conversation about that game with them uh, like I, I, maybe they shouldn't be the headline item mm-hmm. from that game, but if they're not the number one takeaway from that game, they're at least like two or three. Yeah, they're two or three because the number one takeaway for me is Giordano and, and Domi and everything that kind of fed from that, but not to be papered over the importance of that fourth line and not to overstate what they are. I mean, they get the, they get the two goals. McMahon picks up a couple of assists. Gregor shooting it in the net camp, stepping it home. That's all well and good. But even if they did none of those things, even if the puck never went in when they were on the ice, the fact that it wasn't a fire drill in their own zone, just allowed this team to be able to roll lines, play the game, allow David Kampf to be more engaged. You know, Bobby McMahon is a guy who some were wondering if he was going to get the call up a week or so ago, coming off the aftermath of that that Boston game. And nice to see him kind of finding his stride with a couple assists there. So yeah, fourth line, really, really important to this team. I, I honestly think the whole game stemmed from the geo and, and Domi fights and kind of bouncing back from that or, or not even bouncing back, just using that momentum to carry them forward. I, I think that's the story of the game. Quite the momentum honestly. of giving up two shorthanded goals. No, it's not that. Come on. We cannot, I know you're not saying that, but we <laughs> cannot just look at it as two shorthanded goals and look like they, they asked in the panel point blank after that first period, Ron asking Bieksa and and uh, and Rudy of, about would you take it? And in the moment, they say no chance. You want to go down two nothing or two one for that. But when you're able to lock it down the rest of the game, and especially for a team that has struggled to do that, both of those things, defend yourself mm-hmm. and lock it down. The fact that you're able to do both of those things. How can you be anything other than than ecstatic if you're Sheldon Keefe? Yeah, I'm. I'm sure he was not ecstatic to be, as you mentioned, trailing the hockey game two to one. Well, and he also probably twenty. And he also probably shouldn't have had to have been killing off two penalties. I mean, again, Bieksa broke it down in the intermission, and like, what are we, what are we doing here? If it's well, he should have, he should have waited a millisecond. Mm. Because okay, come on, it's a guy who was clear as day going to take the scrap in in Joshua, and the second one. Once you call the first one, I. I feel like you have to call the second one. Okay, so um, once again, this is a case of 
what do you what do we want in the world NHL all we ever do <laughs> is kill this Leafs team for being too soft they never respond to anything and for years I have seen even when it's not fighting if a Leaf says all right you know what I'm giving a hack after a whistle. Oh, whoa, what's this? In a Leaf game? Absolutely not. Right to the box. There is this, it does seem like a, I won't say a double standard, but a different standard for the Leafs because they are thought of as this kind of softer team that anytime there is pushback, mm-mm, not out of you, right to the box. So yeah, I guess once you call the first one, but oh, I'm sorry, does that mean that consistency is always a thing in NHL officiating? Because <laughs> we know if they miss a slash in the first period, it doesn't mean no slashes are getting called or vice versa. If they call a chin hook on the hands and this isn't Leafs related this is all NHL games it doesn't mean that's the standard it means that team's probably getting a makeup call somewhere so I see your point about the instigator that if you're going to call it there you got to call it the second mm-hmm. time but no you don't because the NHL misses penalties they should call all the time uh, so just don't do it to your point about Leaf games and the attention that's on those Leaf games I mean that everybody's watching yes this that is game. why yes this is why Sheldon Keefe gets fined for yelling <laughs> at officials but Daryl Sutter's allowed to come to the mic and say I've been coming to Toronto get screwed by the rest for 30 years why would I expect any different and that's totally fine so yes the Leafs do have a bigger bullseye they have bigger they have bigger eyeballs there's more attention on it but yeah how can you not say they don't get the uh, the short end of the stick with that I mean regarding the instigator stuff like if BX said there a guy who did that job it's like oh we should have waited a millisecond what are we talking about here <laughs> we're gonna play the Sheldon uh, Keith clip after seven o'clock about uh yeah his Feelings and boy, it's easy to 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 take the positive spin when you come back and win the hockey game, mm-hmm. and that's the jumping off point. And despite the fact the Leafs only had three shots on goal, I want to say in that first yeah. period, at, at, yeah, all strengths. That's what happens when you're shorthanded for well, uh, not four minutes, but they were shorthanded for it seemingly the entire first period. Mm-hmm. They actually had more shot attempts, five on five, than the Vancouver Canucks in that first period. <laughs> I I am with you generally. Brent, though, mm. as far as that being a positive sign for a Leafs team that, yeah, quite notably, pretty recently in Boston, did not come to the defense of one of their young defensemen being slew-footed in the corner by mm-hmm. a guy with a track record that is very long yes. in, in Brad Marchand. That was part of it. Um, the fact that they actually look like a capable hockey team top to bottom when it comes to the forwards, mm-hmm. that John Klingberg again returned to the lineup, and he was sheltered enough on a third-pairing role. Jake McCabe back in the lineup as well. Ryan Reeves, again, not in the lineup. And and I went into this season, I think mm-hmm. we were on the same page, that Ryan Reeves, you paid too much money, the, the term is too long, but Ryan Reeves Other than was... Other that, though. Yeah, he's a, like, he's a bit player, but the bit that he was supposed to play was uh, a welcome addition to a Leafs team that felt pretty soulless the last mm-hmm. half decade. Did I anticipate his on ice performance and not all of it is on him man he has been very unlucky as far as the puck getting shot into the net when he's been on the ice no fault of his own but man watch that game on saturday and feel the way you feel when the fourth line is on the ice multiple times and and yeah at the end of the game when it's a three goal game when the game is kind of out of reach but multiple times during the course of the game when the game was not out of reach mm-hmm. and they're being deployed in the defensive zone or they're keeping the puck in the offensive zone and they're scoring two freaking goals, <laughs> Brent. That's it. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and Ryan Reeves is going to get back in there at some point. For me, it's not soon because I want to see how long this fourth line can run with the momentum that they built on Saturday. Well, I, I don't. I I will try not to continue to bring everything back to this, but the momentum is gone. They will not. Honestly, how can you how can you sit there and say they're going to take momentum out of that game? It's going to be five days before they do anything competitive on the ice again, and even then, it's going to be a game that is at two o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. the time they're acclimatized to. Like, you think that's going to be a rip roaring physical game with fights and hits? Hold on, hold. We're I talking don't. About Saturday. We're talking about Saturday. Okay. <laughs> Don't talk about Friday. Mo- I'm just saying. We have all mo- week to talk about Friday. Mo- d- stop. We need to stop talking about the momentum coming out of this game because <laughs> Gary Bettman took it. He sucked it out with a Hoover. Like, it is gone, the momentum from this game. There's nothing to take from it. There are a million takeaways from mm-hmm. it that hopefully this team can remember happened when they're looking back at their diaries to remember the last time they played an <laughs> NHL hockey game. But honestly, like, I would love to sit here Did and any say. Can these players keep a diary? Mm, Mar- Gio. Yeah, Geo, like he, dear diary, but my hands. No, hurt. again, it's like, and it's in, it's with Quill, it's with Quill, and he's dipping it in the inkwell yeah. and all of that. But I think when you look at this team, the the, the Reeves aspect of it specifically is interesting because I don't. 
you know, I don't think this is what happened. But if you wanted to have the narrative that that team wanted to make sure Ryan Reeves never played a game in his life, that's exactly what it would look like. Where not yeah, only does fourth line, invites. where not only does the fourth line do that, but they immediately stick up for one another and quiet down the tenor of that game. It did seem like was it just me or was there a lot less running around after mm. those two those two fights in the first period? And I don't think the guys are sitting there going, "We can't ever let Revo." We, you know what? Maybe if we fight tonight, he's not even going to come on the plane. I don't think that's what's happening. I imagine they like him. You don't get to be that character guy in the NHL across your career without having that personality that guys like, but. How can you not look at that game and say, clearly they don't need him every night or maybe any nights. The McMahon thing also, just awesome to see him get a couple of assists, albeit secondary. And I think that does kind of illuminate exactly what Reeves is doing to that line. Like, what have we said about David Camp, his whole Leaf tenure? Mm -hmm. You really like him. It depends who you're using him with. And occasionally when he does develop some chemistry or he gets the odd spot with some more skillful guys, I, I at least anyways find myself going, hmm, David Camp, better offensive thinker than we think. Not an overly talented player, but he can think the game in that regard. Noah Gregor has some utility. Fast, fast, fast. Once a week, I, I mistake him for Mitch Marner. He's taller, I know, but every it's the one and the, the eight looks like a 16 a lot of times, and I'm thinking that's Marner. And then it's just, again, I don't want to understate what McMahon is doing, but just taking Reeves out of the way, it feels yeah. like open things up so much for that line. Dude, it, it was startling. Again, how I felt when they were on the ice, the the fact that you could, yeah, you could actually put them in situations mm -hmm. where it wasn't, honestly, when Ryan Reeves' addition to that fourth line is on the ice, it's, and I know in the two games that we attended, yeah, yeah. it's, you're looking directly at Reeves and you're like, how quickly can this team, like, can they, can they get the puck in the offensive mm -hmm. zone and can Reeves get off the ice in 35 seconds? Like yep. mission accomplished. If the puck doesn't go in their, their own net and can the shift be as short as possible mm -hmm. now that you have mate and it's just one game, who knows? But to your point, like David camp has a history of was skilled, or at least fast yes. line mates that he can get the job Make it done. Work, yeah. yeah, and Noah Gregor is a guy that in a short sample has has shown some some pop. And Bobby McMahon, he's had a fine AHL career. I the possibility exists that this is not just a one off for that line that it actually might have some utility. I'd also like to point out that I this is an unofficial stat, but I'm going to go with it by me, Brent Gunning. No player in the history of the NHL has timed their call-ups better than Bobby McMahon. The last year when he got called up, he was on it was on the dad's trip to the mm. point where somebody had an article about his dad uh, washing his underwear in the sink because he That's hadn't right. packed for that much time. <laughs> and now, uh, my sensibilities aside, he gets to go to Sweden for a really fun trip, I'm sure, for him. Like, it's just actually timing-wise, it could not be better to play in your two NHL call-ups for directly before the dad's trip and directly before the Sweden trip. And then the fact that he contributes, he almost got the goal that they stole away from him last year. I'm still waiting for him to get that first one and then the two assists last night. And as far as the utility of that line goes, they don't, like, look at what's above them in the Leafs lineup. We've been so focused on, you know, the lack of chemistry this year. Not anymore. I mean, that top line, even, even when it's not humming at a hundred percent. I mean, it's always going well. You love what Marner Matthews and Nyes are capable of doing. Bertuzzi really seems to have found a, a bit of a niche. It's amazing what that, you know, I'm not going to say one game click flip the switch for him. Maybe he felt like he was building something, but he had that incredible game against, I think it was the lightning last week. And he hasn't really looked back since he really seems to have found a stride with JT and, and Willie. And then the third line, like it's, it's amazing what they've done to find some, some chemistry, some consistency Scoring in all three games. They've been together. Yeah. Robertson four, game point streak now yep. I think so it's that's the other part of it is that the fourth line it can be utilized better because of what's above it so yeah it's it's amazing that once the pieces start to stack together how much better this looks compared to the conversations we were having what a week and change ago and honestly so much of it is moving Domi to center I would never have thought that would have been the key but yeah. it's clearly been the thing that's unlocked this lineup yep um and it's doing the thing that yeah th this team has been missing for so many of the the previous half decade of of Leafs teams is that there is the potential of a goal being scored mm -hmm. outside of uh the top four forwards being on the ice. Ilya Samsonov gets the belt. Mm -hmm. Does not allow a 5 on 5 goal against against the Vancouver Canucks. He needed that in in a big time way. Yep. It's hilarious how we've 
kind of treated this goaltending tandem as a horse race and how it felt so much, at least to me, like Joseph Wall was becoming the entrenched number one Mm -hmm. in a 1-1A situation. I think we're pretty close to back to even now between these two. Yeah, especially the game Friday. Like, Wall wasn't bad. He was able to do enough to get them the win. But there were a couple you you didn't yeah. love there for sure. Uh, I did this just for you on Saturday night as well. Now, I don't have the timestamp of what this was in the game. But at 7.26 p.m., mm-hmm. I tweeted just for you. Sammy is seeing it tonight. Oh, yeah. I've got a good feeling about his game. <laughs> so I did that just for you. That's and, good. That's and good. what did he have? Two goals only on the power play. Perfect at five on five. I'm not saying I'm going to do it all the time, but Mm -hmm. you called me out on it. I wanted to show you I do have that medal. In terms of what Samsonov brings to the the team, this is, I think it's a very healthy reminder for all of us that this is just the way a 1A, 1B goaltending tandem looks when the 1A and 1B are going to flip-flop at various times throughout the season. I think we got to... Maybe we need to go in 10-game spurts instead of three with with each guy is kind of what it feels like here. With Wall, I think that there's a consistency there that maybe you don't get out of Samsonov. And, hey, part of that is luck, right? Like if the Leafs don't find the back of the net a few more times, we're not sitting here talking about Wall's consistency after they lose that game on on Friday night. So I think there's something to that. And, look, Samsonov, like say what you will about the lack of – long-term performance at this league, but he's done it. He has the longer track record than Wall. So I think that this is what goaltending looks like when you don't have one of these guys. And yeah, we can start to trend in our direction, but I think a trend is a trend until it kind of holds for a really, really long time. All you're looking for is for somebody not to be an abject disaster, this right? This is true. Like, okay. And and there were moments and the overall numbers for Samson are still pretty gory. 870 save percentage overall goals against approaching four. But if he's a guy that, yeah, and we know he is capable of putting together a string of a couple of weeks, a month, Mm -hmm. where he plays average to above average in net, Joseph Wall, I think we're getting closer to believing that that's a a possibility for him on a nightly basis. That's all. You're just looking for you not to be killed by your goaltending. Yeah, that's all you're looking for. I... Yeah, I think with I think with this I was about to I was about to look at to Sweden and then I stopped myself. That's what that little little comment in my voice was there. I, did, I just you. wanted you Good to know. You. Yeah, I know. You I have know. the self regulator on. Yeah, barely. It's it's really it's really fighting it. Uh, in in terms of what you with what you see out of Samsonov, I think that the the thing that'll be interesting to see and it's the thing I keep going back to is that Sheldon Keefe is going to have to be very. I mean, he's not going to come to the mic and say Ilya Samsonov starting because Joe Wall can't stop a beach ball right now or vice versa, but who he starts in the games are going to be pretty obvious. There's not a run of back-to-backs. You know, the schedule will condense here eventually when they get back from the Sweden trip, and you will have your back-to-backs, and then it'll be less obvious. It'll be seen more as them kind of sharing the net to a certain degree. But this is what it. This is what it's been the case with Keith all year, is that he has had to be very open about who he's kind of feeling better about. And for the majority of the year... That's been Joe Wall. I think you ask him at the beginning of the year who his starter was. It's Joe Wall. You ask him if you did a daily poll every day with Sheldon Keefe, Wall would be that guy more times than not. I'm curious how much one game. And then again, the 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 amount of time Keefe is going to have to sit and think about this between now and then because, I mean, it's clear as day. And they're going to split time. Oh, this uh, is the thing. Of course, Sweden. it's going to be a split. So it's like we have we have a good game for Samsonov where, in theory, he can build some momentum. And now, okay, go split the net. And then maybe one of those guys plays better over there. And then you have a slight tipping of the hand back this way. But it is it really does feel like a pure kind of split until one of them pops their head up well, and steals remember, it. Well, remember the conversation going into the back-to-backs against the Flames and Canucks. There was a clear easier game mm-hmm. for one of those goaltenders. It was yep. the the Friday game against the Flames uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to the game on the back end of back-to-backs against the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League on the Saturday. And if you're just going by performance, Samsonov was better in all respects for on sure Saturday. He was. he was put in a tougher spot against the tougher team with his team on the back-to-backs. Um, he got a game without Ryan Reeves. Um, so that was probably helpful. What is that case. worth? <laughs> um, so that yeah, worth five nights of sleep. Like. Yeah. So congratulations to Ilya Samsonov, who desperately needed that. Um, they they won a game with John Klingberg back on the blue line as well as I mentioned. He was there. 
He wasn't there on Friday because mm-hmm. he had an injury that he was able to recover from very, very quickly. Man, that's amazing. Like, what? why do we need to do that? Like, can he be a healthy scratch? Like, I, I thought this was, honestly, when I heard that he was out of the game, not as a healthy scratch, mm-hmm. but because he was dinged up, he had a yeah. bit of an upper body injury. I was like, oh, well, this is this is the the start of being able to extricate yourself mm-hmm. from the four plus million no. dollar cap hit. And no, he's, he was in the lineup again Saturday. Does it save face for John Klingberg for one? I mean, yeah, him not having the ignominy of being a healthy scratch on Friday and two, maybe an excuse for his poor play before that. I, I guess I, I, I'm sure he's dinged up with something. Sure. So is Tyler Bertuzzi. So it's like everyone. Yeah, everyone. I, I mean, Maybe everyone. It's pretty early in the season, but yeah, it doesn't take long for people to be dinged up. That was weird. Yeah, I I think this is just a byproduct of being in a hot market, right? Like if if John Klingberg had a bad start for the Stars or the Sharks or whoever, and they well, I mean the Sharks would say, "Oh, he had a bad start. Get out there, buddy. You're doing <laughs> great." But for another team, it would be able to be all right. Yeah, we're gonna sit him. Gonna be healthy. I I think that you know you know you know what it would be like if it's a healthy scratch as opposed to an injury. And that's the thing, even though we're sitting here and going much different, it is, I, it isn't, but the player feels it. And the coach is seen to be, I don't know, not throwing him under the bus by any means, but making it apparently clear. And this is the whole conversation we've been having all year long, but, or not all year long, this entire tenure about accountability and holding guys. But does Austin Matthews, let's let's say Sheldon Keefe comes out. He's like, yeah, Klingberg's been bad. He's going to take a night. He's going to watch. Hopefully we get him back in there tomorrow. Does, you know, all the guys who matter on this team take anything out of that? Is Austin Matthews quaking in his boots because John Klingberg got healthy one night? No, it doesn't affect the accountability for any of the real core tenant pieces of this team. So I don't have an issue with it. If you feel like that's going to protect the guy, keep him in a better headspace, whatever, I don't I don't have an issue with I it. I mean it saves Brad for living from the headline of man signs man to four million plus dollar free mm-hmm. agent contract after thirteen games. Yeah. Four million plus uh cap hit is healthy scratched. Yeah, it saves the boss a bit. But I but again, I think that anybody pay I think it's more about the player than the than for living. Cause I think anybody paying close attention to the situation knows exactly what's happening here. And I think with Klingberg, it's just a, it's a, it's a cleaner way to do it. I don't, I don't have a big issue with it. I understand what you're saying. And if this was Tyler Bertuzzi who, or Max Domi, quite frankly, who this team needs to be a much more crucial piece of the mix, then I would maybe want him to take a different tact with it, but we're nowhere near or nor have we been Mm -hmm. at healthy scratch city for, for either of those guys. I mean, they both were fighting it early on, but they were fine. They weren't killing you the way Klingberg was at various times. Yep. Uh, Klingberg was killing you. And Ryan Reeves uh, was killing you. And uh, guys, 50% of them played in, in each and every game over the weekend, Friday, Saturday. I thought you were going to say, and Max Domi and Mark Giordano were killing them, is what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. All right, we'll uh, come back around to the Leafs after uh, 7 o'clock, but uh, the Oilers did the thing. Like, it was a game later than everybody anticipated, although the decision-making was done after the loss to San Jose, just a matter of putting pen to paper and getting uh, T's crossed and I's dotted. Mm -hmm. But Jay Woodcroft is finished, uh, despite the fact that he goes out with a victory 4-1. Yeah. In Seattle, as uh, Zach Hyman with the hat trick to to get his team back in the win column, Chris Knobloch of the AHL's Hartford Wolfpack, who was Connor McDavid's coach in Erie. So Connor McDavid's got his former agent yep. at the tippy top yes. of the decision making structure as the team president, and now he's got his former junior coach mm-hmm. as his head coach. For an Oilers team that still has Stanley Cup aspirations despite the horrific start. If you really want to continue this further, he also has a former junior teammate, Connor Brown, that was brought in on a heavy incentive-laden deal, which I have no problem with. I actually think that was a great gamble by the Oilers, not working out. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting to see a... And I don't know, maybe this is just the direction the Oilers want to go. If anybody's going to have an organization kowtowed to them, of course it's going to be... Connor McDavid, but you know, this is uh this is interesting in the world of hockey. We don't necessarily see a player, one player so clearly having so much import in the decision making, whether they want to admit it or not. And again, I don't think anybody would begrudge the Oilers for saying, of course McDavid is, is involved in these decisions, but it's a pretty naked, straight line 
to an AHL head coach. And again, you're making coach change in season. Coaches have come up from the American League and being good head coaches. It's not like that that this isn't a path someone would take, but how can you look at it as anything else than, all right, somebody comfortable with Connor mm-hmm. and can move things along and we'll reevaluate uh, going forward here. Yeah. Uh, Ken Holland and Jeff Jackson take to the podium in announcing the decision-making and, and the thought process that goes through it. And there's a, like a little bit of a... I don't know if a miscommunication is is the way I would describe it or a difference in the way it was going to be messaged from, mm. from both guys. Ken Holland initially starts talking about the consultation with the, the veterans on yep. the team, which means one person. Like, yep. there's only one person that matters, right? It's yep. Connor McDavid. Yep. Uh, and Jeff Jackson, again, former agent of Connor McDavid. Nobody <laughs> knows him better than the guy that has worked with him throughout the entirety of his career mm-hmm. until he was given this position as team president yep. for the Edmonton Oilers says, nah, you know what? He, he does the thing that I think a lot of people want to do with LeBron James is protect him right. from the decision-making um, part of, of hockey yep. that no, he just wants to play. That's too much to put on a player. Like we haven't, we didn't discuss with, with anybody. We didn't discuss with Connor McDavid. I, I understand you can connect the dots, but this is not Connor McDavid's hire. It is, pretty difficult to look at the pieces that are now in place and think that yeah and why wouldn't he but that Connor McDavid does have an outsized impact on on what is happening in Edmonton right now yeah of course of course he does it's just be honest about it be forthright about it and I don't think anybody expects them to say oh yeah McDavid was sitting in there and we're doing the interviews you, you consult a player of that of that magnitude but when you do try to protect him I think part of it is that you just don't really see this in in hockey I mean there are obviously like don't get me wrong I'm sure Sidney Crosby like has a strength coach or something he likes in Pittsburgh that they keep around or I shouldn't even say keep around that is a good at his job because guess what keep a Crosby happy is like job numero uno there this the this happens but to see it so forthright again like starting with the agent being mm-hmm. the team president and then the other part of this as well is you know Paul Coffey's going to be an assistant coach now uh Paul Coffey also has a dual role as special advisor not to the GM, no. Not to the president, huh. but the guy whose name is on <laughs> their checks, Daryl Cates. So, I'm not saying it can't work. Don't look at me saying, "Oh, how dare anyone imp- involve Paul Coffey in hockey decisions?" No, uh-huh. that's probably a good idea. But the criticism forever there, and in a lot of markets, is oh, the boys' club, the boys' club, the boys' club. Boys are looking pretty clubby in Edmonton mm. right now. God, and it, it makes a lot of sense. The hiring makes a ton of sense sucks that we can't get like a Patrick Waugh or somebody oh, like a, a one season fixer. What I would give. <laughs> we know in limited sample and you know, I'm biased because he joins the show quite often, but like a, a Gabby for, oh, for the rest of the regular I season. Wanted, I wanted that so bad. It's like he just did the thing with Vancouver. <laughs> right. that Bruce, there it is. I know. If he could do that with Elias Pedersen and Combe, like what do we think is happening with Connor? I mean, yeah, you win a lot of games like 10-9, but you score 10 goals, my goodness. Yeah. And yeah, you you don't win a Stanley Cup, my goodness. You don't win a round probably in the postseason. No. But you you might get there with uh, Bruce Boudreau. Uh, I would love it. Oh, As soon as I saw the names going about, and it's funny because it's like completely opposite flavors of loving it, right? Mm-hmm. If it's Gabby, I'm like, I want the Oilers to win every game right. 9-7, and it's the <laughs> 80s Oilers all over again. Yeah. And if it's Patrick Wire, I want him screaming in people's faces. Oh, my God. Just, just mad, ornery. God, yeah. get Patrick back in the league. Mm. Hey, man, you want to talk about growing the game? Yeah. That'll grow the game. Well, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, baseball went for so long in this this mode of, um, hey, you don't need any experience right. in that role of manager. You yeah. need somebody who knows the system. You need somebody who is cheap. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to have a long track record. Now, it that hasn't... There hasn't been a sea change in hockey where they've gone away. Like Peter Laviolette got another job, right? Like those oh, yeah. guys still get recycled. For sure. But this is a pretty intense spot to put a first-time NHL head coach. Not that he doesn't – Chris yep. Knobloch doesn't have bona fides, right? Like, yeah, he was great in junior and then has had his uh, – he was an assistant, I want to say, in Philly. Yep. And then, you know, great success in the AHL. But this is his first kick of the can at the big job in a crazy market – on a team with expectations that is wildly underperforming. It's 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 a spot that I think if you if you just described all the all the factors in Edmonton, mm-hmm. I think most people would say, well that's that's a, a 
ready-made spot for somebody with some experience, somebody like a fixer who know like is not learning on the job. Not that there's a huge difference between the AHL and the NHL, but there's a huge difference between the AHL and the NHL. You know who they wanted to hire. The same the same guy every team wants to hire if they're a ready-made winner. And it's the guy who is who is still, to my understanding, not been reinstated by the NHL. It's mm-hmm. Joel Quenville. Like, that's the guy sitting there that they go, that's the winner. That's the guy who can slam the rings on the table and show them to Connor and show them to Leon and say, this is what it takes, but that ain't happening. That ship has sailed. And I just wanted to add one more thing, uh, just a little sideswipe. But somebody, as we're talking about the boys club there, I'd be remiss if I left this out. Uh, do you know who the assistant general manager is in Edmonton? One of them is Ken Holland's son. Yes. So just to like, again, <laughs> probably, guess what? Guess what? Probably pretty qualified hockeyman yeah. growing up, listening to dad tell tales and working in the game for as long as he's worked, not saying he doesn't deserve it. But if you just want to criticize this as, ah, let's just keep everybody comfortable. Mm-hmm. Everybody, uh, well, uh, everybody with the exception of Jay Woodcroft, he no, no longer comfortable because lost his job. Uh, although well, you could argue most comfortable, mm, like doesn't have I to worry about losing no, hockey I, games no, and I'm getting gonna, a paycheck. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the NHL head coach would have liked to change chance to have continued to be stapled to the greatest player of his generation. I'm going to, I think that's what he would. Oh prefer. yeah. No, I, I'm sure he would have preferred to okay. continue working, <laughs> but you said comfort, okay. like he's comfortable, right. I guess. Yeah. Okay. He's very comfortable. And you know what? I, I think he's going to end up on an NHL bench sooner rather than later. Maybe not as a head coach, but look at the oh, track record. You just point to the win percentage. Right. It's the exact same thing we said about uh, I'm not going to pretend to be as steeped in the minutia of Woodcroft as we are here with Keith, but it's the exact same thing with Keith. Mm-hmm. That if the Leafs fired him and moved on, it's not to say they couldn't. Well, it's except say, he actually has some postseason success. He has some postseason. Uh, hey, Sheldon does now too. All right, you okay. were the guy telling me the Oilers haven't accomplished anything, remember? <laughs> remember? We were screaming at each other on Friday. You're like, I've oh, never done anything. Went yeah. to a conference final, but now that's a good Little little thing for Jay Woodcroft's uh, resume. CV, if you will. Yep. All right. When we come back, it's a big week for the Raptors, uh, partly because, you know, they're back at home, <laughs> partly because the Leafs are gone. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> They would never leave us like that. Actually, who am I kidding? The NBA? I better not. I better I better pipe down. They'll be like, oh, Masai Ujiri, don't you love going abroad? Yeah. Uh, Raptors. Please stay. <laughs> have a 10-day, four-game road trip that is now complete. They saved the season. Honestly, the, it, it felt like it was kind of teetering on a knife's edge when they went out on the road. They, they wrap it up uh, two and two back home tonight against the Wizards. We'll talk about them. I'll talk about that gag job by the Argos at BMO Field in front of 26,000-plus over the weekend as well. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Morning, Joe Sports at 590. The fan, Ben Annis, Frank Gunning. I'm covering coffee. Sounds I wonderful, yeah. quite honestly. <laughs> I told you I smell like coffee. You're like, that's that's how people amazing. should smell. Uh, oh, to Folgers. Yes. We should all <laughs> bathe in coffee ashes. Uh, or I, grounds, <laughs> not ashes. <laughs> I told you, morbid. Always death on the brain. Always. I, I'm never going to make this mistake again, but it's now the second time I've made this mistake where can it's I, been... Can I bring... Oh, I'm, I'm asking you, and you're going to have no choice but to say yes. Can I tell you the other... Can I tell people the other thing you said to me where you're like, yeah. these are my good genes. Yeah, well, I love that. And they're not my only good genes, but these are my number one <laughs> number, genes. Okay, that is how you phrased it. It's like succession. Yeah. You look at them and go, you're my number one boy. <laughs> well, they are. And now, like, you haven't really seen no, it. No, I, I saw up, the like, picture. I saw the picture. Oh, yeah, that both you put legs, on like, X. there's no... When it happened, I was like, oh, Actually, maybe I only got a little bit. Can you do bit. that again? I didn't know oh, you were that flexible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Look at no, that. Whoa. <laughs> we got the hips firing here early, Ben. Uh, it's, it's one of those spills that it's like when it happened i was like oh it probably just like a little speck you probably won't be able to see it because guess what it, it's dark at four o'clock in the morning when yeah. i get in my I'm car i'm gonna hold up my legs to you now i think i could get away with it with my jeans <laughs> yeah. they're a little darker oh that's the other problem but yeah my number one jeans are like the light the light colored jeans yeah. so yeah it hits extra hard sorry Anyways, man 
I, I put I, my coffee cup on top of my car yeah. as I tried to get in. There was frost on it, and it slipped off and spilled all over. As I told you, uh, there's one person to blame, maybe two. You, uh, maybe a touch of Mother Nature there. But last no. little, last, yeah, a little bit. There's, it's there's it's me. It's in t- Once it happens, okay, okay the first time, oh, this is I'll give you that. Oh, okay. Right? First time, it's like, man, how am I supposed to know? I've done this. <laughs> You know, 20 plus times, that's never happened before. Mm. I never thought about right. this possibility. Now that it's already happened, it, it's on me to, to to know that that's a possibility right. and never put my coffee cup on top of my car again. Don't do it. I bet you're going to do it uh, one, at least one more time this week. No, I, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty, so wait, now that I've vocalized that hmm. I will never do it again, I, I now, will never do it again. I now have way more questions about this than I should. Do you not? Is there not, like, what happened here? There's no lid on your coffee? Are you one no, of these? No, it, it has a okay. lid, but it hit the ground. Oh, okay, okay. And then That's I went to go to... try and right. catch it. I mean, actually, it must have be you seen said... these psychos who are, like, driving to work just carrying, like, a mug in their oh, hand? Have insane. you seen it? Well, that's what I thought was happening here, and then I would have had to okay, have an we, intervention. We, we both drive from Burlington. Yeah. Um, there's... A, before you get to the gardener, you yeah. can have like multiple sips without yeah. getting coffee all over your face. Once you hit the gardener, it is it's just nightmaresville. It is. Like you're you're shocked to get a, a workout and yeah, you really have to time your sips like at, in between bumps. Our our buddy Bunk comes in here and he never has a lid on his coffee and it drives me insane because I just I guess I just I, re- I really don't like drinking coffee that way either I like to have like big sips mm, no I, I don't I like do, to have a lid on it I do love a mug I love to sit there with a big mug on the mm. weekend and hold it sometimes I'll sit out front too cold for this now hold it with two hands mm. to warm me up but it's probably enough coffee talk not for me quite honestly I you would be you'd be borderline impressed and scared at how long I could do this for but I don't know how much everyone else wants it all right maybe we'll come back around to it uh Raptors CC coffee dad <laughs> at the end of October. Let me, let me take you back in the, in the way back Telling machine. me about the yesteryears. Uh, it was the day before Halloween. Oh, okay. Not that long ago. And the Raptors lost 99, 91 to a trailblazers team. That was this. full on rebuild mode. Mm-hmm. And we had Michael Grange on after that game. Oh, that's right. And we were looking back at, at the Chicago loss mm-hmm. and how, weird the minnesota win was how much of a rock fight it was and you know legitimate conversations about this being one of the worst teams in the nba and mm-hmm. boy they're they're gonna have their first round pick because they're they're only gonna drop a couple of spots after being the team with the worst record in the nba and it's top six protected and yada yada yep. yada 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 it's, it's a d- absolute abject disaster banking on the vibes is the only reason things are going to turn around for this team. That what a mistake that was, mm-hmm. especially considering the upcoming schedule in which you got a Milwaukee Bucks team with the two-headed monster of Dame Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Then you got the back-to-back against the Sixers. You go to San Antonio to play uh, a team with a generational superstar. You go to Dallas to mm-hmm. to play another championship contender, and then you wrap up that road trip in Boston. Well. Raptors completed that road trip at two and two. The Milwaukee game was the last game at home. And all of a sudden they find themselves at four and five, which is, you know, if they win tonight against a Wizards team that stinks, they'll have the same record as the Los Angeles Lakers. It, <laughs> and and the Clippers could only could only dream oh of having God. a four and five record. They're 0 and 4 in the James Harden era. It's it's amazing how quickly things can change. And yeah, okay, they get blown out yesterday. Mm-hmm. By or on Saturday against the Celtics and the Celtics, yeah, they're top five in uh, everything. Op- yeah, opponents' shooting percentage, their own shooting percentage, late Jason, minute challenges. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. Jason Tatum is a bona fide superstar, mm-hmm. and that's the last game of the road trip. But again, two and two, you come back from twenty points down at halftime in San Antonio, which feels like kind of the hinge point yep. between a successful and an unsuccessful road trip. But then going into Dallas, handing the Mavericks their first home loss of the season with both Kyrie and Luka in the lineup, yeah, that that the conversation is so different now than what I expected it to be after that loss in Portland. It, it's been nothing but sunshines and rainbows for this team. Yeah, it, it was a nice trip. I don't think you can say it any other way than that. The Mavs win was a big one. It surprised me. I thought I thought Dallas would take care of business in that game. I thought their kind of top-end talent would just shine out, and it was the exact opposite. It was, it was the Raptors guys taking care of business. But I also look at that Celtics game yesterday as just a really kind of set the table for where this team is 
experiment. I mean, they were right there. They were running with the Celtics. It was a pretty tight game. And then guess what? Then the basketball game broke out and the Celtics turned it on because they are an upper echelon team in this league. And I think that this is what the Raptors are. They're a team that can, uh, uh, you know, a upper middle class team like the Mavs. Can they compete with them and can they beat them? Yeah, they can. Will they shock some people if you're not ready and you take the Raptors at all lightly? Are they able to give you a really hard test and push you? Absolutely. But when push comes to shove, I still think this team is albeit on the higher end of where some people expected projections to be. But I think this is still a relatively speaking middling team. If Scotty Barnes continues to make leaps, if Gary Trent Jr. is going to make his shots, those are the types of things that will tell you what this team is on any given night. But I, I will still say at the end of the day, that Celtics loss is pretty not, not illuminating because it doesn't surprise me all that much, but it does re reset things after, after a nice trip of just this Raptors team kind of is who we thought they are to a certain extent. Sure. I mean, I thought they could have been, I, I thought the possibility very much existed that they were much worse. So I guess, yeah. Like, did I have any illusions that they were like uh, going to compete with the Celtics and the Bucks and the no. Sixers at the top of the Eastern conference? I never did. Mm-hmm. But did I think they were potentially worse than the 41 win team a season ago that lost in the play-in game to the Chicago Bulls? I, I thought the possibility existed that they were real, real bad. And it doesn't feel like they're they're really bad. In fact, right now, they're exactly where they were a season ago. They'd be right in the, the, the play-in game scenario, albeit not hosting one of those play-in games. Mm-hmm. But I think it's possible that they are better than the 41 win team that they were a season ago. I think the goal here, here's how I feel sure. through nine games this season. I think the goal, like it was last year, honestly, mm-hmm. and it's, it's an attainable one considering what I've seen is to be a team that finishes outside of the play in tournament that finishes with a legitimate first round series. To me, that would be a successful season wins loss record. And I guess a lot of it hinges on what happens at the trade deadline, whether they have Pascal Siakam and or OG Ananobi and or Gary Trent Jr. Mm-hmm. in the second half of the season. But to me, the goal for this team now should be to finish ahead of the playing tournament in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think you, oh, I mean, you got to pick, right? You either have to be a team that is safely inside the play-in or you got to go the exact opposite way. And this team's too good to go the the opposite way. It's all the conversations we had last year of Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi alone. And obviously Van Vliet was here last year, but let's lump Scotty Barnes in this year with the leaps he's taken. Those three guys alone are too good to have you in the keep your own pick, top six protected. So you might as well push in and try to be safely there and Honestly, talent-wise, you know, those guys should be able to do that. Again, I I look at, you know, you look at last night and Siakam, he has 17 points. It's another game where, again, he's going up against a a fellow, well, not a fellow superstar because, quite frankly, he's he's a peg below him and a guy like Tatum. And it's just that is the kind of resetting I'm talking about there. But in terms of why this team can't be four, five, even six in the in the East, there's no reason they, they can't be that. And I do think part of it is the, you know, we we undercut the vibes part of it. I think that it's it doesn't need to be as big a part of the picture as they talked about. But there and, you know, like we maybe we slide it in here, but the idea of like the of Darko getting in people's faces and not yeah. to say Nick nurse wouldn't have, but it just, it's a different feel. Oh, and Nick nurse would, well, he, of course he'd be, he'd be getting in more course, than a few people. You know what? Would. We can make the direct line comparison oh, to, to, to Gio and Domi taking instigators in the first now Leafs won the game. So that's a right. little different than the Raptors continuing to get blown out by the Boston Celtics, but down 27 mm. Gio younger than Darko. I wasn't <laughs> sure if he was very <laughs> close though. Uh, down 27 in the fourth quarter. Um, and up 27 in the fourth quarter, Joe Missoula, the Celtics head coach, yeah. decides to to challenge. And naturally, uh, Darko Ryakovich, mm-hmm. all the Toronto Raptors had Not happy. serious issues with that. I mean, Missoula defended it by talking about, hey, I'm, I'm in it for the individuals on this team and having their back. Uh, I, I don't think there's a single Celtics player that would say, yeah, that, that made us feel a whole lot better that you challenged that call. I will say, though, if if you if I had my druthers, mm-hmm. 
Would I rather that happen or not happen from a team building perspective? I'm glad it happened. Oh, from a Raptors perspective, of course you're happy it happened. Anytime you can get John at, at, at not one another, but collectively against someone else, there's no there's no way that that bodes poorly for you. And honestly, I don't know what Joe Manzul is doing. Take a better tact. If you just take the tact of, look, we all strive to get better at our jobs every day. I tell these players to get better every day. Why would I not take an opportunity to get better in-game challenges and understand what I can and can't look at? Like, would we roll our eyes at it? Yes, but at least that's a more defensible tact than I need to have my players back on on the review here. That doesn't make a lick of sense to me. So I actually could understand it if he would have taken that approach. But this is a this is a situation where I, as a, uh, well, I'll say neutral observer, look at this and go, honestly, good job, everybody. You all handled this exactly as you should have. Joe Mazzula, you want to be the the winner guy who's always trying to get everything out of your team? You, you kind of got to do that. You got to play the part and do that. Mm-hmm. Coach Darko, Raptors, get barking at him, get angry. I feel like everyone handled this well. Kudos to all. Uh, Raptors have a chance to get to 500 with a victory at home against the Wizards tonight. They got the Bucks at home on Wednesday and then uh, a rematch against Mr. Missoula's Celtics on Friday. As... That's the other part of it as well. Is like you're going to see this team in a few days. Oh, get, boy. get woofing. Get angry. Yeah, in their first in-season tournament game coming up. On well, Friday. I mean, <laughs> the st- now, now I actually think this was a work put in by, I was about to say Stern, because he would do that, but Silver. Honestly, this is, I, I'm going to be interested to see, A, you try to win every single regular season mm-hmm. game, but the Raptors should have outsized in, import surrounding these in-season tournament games, because this is actually something, yeah, that is attainable for them, can, uh, depending on, on how yeah. the the rest of the NBA treats these these games, and the ratings were good for, for the first iteration of the in-season tournament games, but yeah, that'll be interesting to see on Friday. Wouldn't you love a, a like... I'm not calling the Raptors this, but some also ran to be like, that's our Larry O'Brien trophy. Yeah. We're going for that. I think but, that's the whole point but of I, it. I would, lo- and obviously you don't say anything because then when it doesn't come to fruition, but like, right. wouldn't you love to hear that from, you know, the Hornets? Like, pick a, you're a Hornets yeah. fan. You know, okay, I just come here, I watch LaMelo Ball, and I feel about that however I feel on any mm-hmm. given night. But no, we have an in-season tournament game. Like, I actually would love to hear some team vocalize. Maybe it's happened and I missed it, but I, I don't feel like I've seen that. No, this this should be, hey, it's it's important for everybody. There is a financial incentive to win these games and to win the whole damn thing, and you get a trip to Vegas, which... I, I was going to say, Christian Coloclo, uh make him 1-7 mm-hmm. this year. He would love 500 grand. Yeah, it's about it, the middle class of NBA teams. This is, yeah, the... the the teams that don't have a chance of winning the Larry O'Brien trophy, this is for you, which I think the Raptors quite neatly fi- fall into that category. Yeah, which is not an knock. Guess what? Mm-hmm. There's like five teams that can win it in any given year. You ain't won this year. Uh, I feel bad about uh, diving into the Argos conversation when we haven't done a ton of Argos yeah. on this show. You just speak your mind. <laughs> and I know there's Argos hardos who are, are going to criticize us for only – talking about the Argos when we are criticizing them. I this spoke is, to pinball this year, so uh, keep, keep those criticisms aside. I, I, I've checked in on the Argos more than a couple of times <laughs> this season. They were a dominant force. For Chad sure. Kelly's going to be the most, the most outstanding player in the CFL this season. The I was amped up to watch the game on Saturday, as were 26,000-plus, the biggest crowd that mm-hmm. has attended an Argos game since they moved to BMO Field for the East Final against the Montreal Alouettes on Saturday. Alouettes are a, a fine football team and the Argos beat them a couple of times during the regular season. Once it was a, a close mm-hmm. game. So like the, the fact that the Alouettes beat them in this game, not overly shocking. It's the manner in which they beat them. Yes. Was it nine turnovers in the CFL? Also, they, they count like turnover on downs as turnovers, which is like interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a choice, but Chad <laughs> <Literally>. Kelly, <laughs> Chad Kelly with five, Individual turnovers, including four interceptions, a couple of pick sixes, and a fumble. Uh, again, for the CFL's most outstanding player of the year, a guy that led his team uh, to a loss only once. I know they lost twice, but he was on the field for only one regular season loss this season. It was shocking. My question to you, mm. Brent, um, so 26,000-plus show yep. up for this game. A lot of people that maybe did not attend an Argos game all season long showing up because they were buying into the hype. Mm-hmm. They show up and get that. Like, is, is that going to dissuade some people from having 
a continued interest in this team next season after you were told all season long it's an incredible atmosphere, it's an incredible mm-hmm. sports product in the city of Toronto, especially if you're you know not going to throw five hundred yep. thousand bucks at at a, a a ticket for a Raptors or Leaf game. Mm-hmm. Is there damage done to those people considering the way that game was played out? I don't think so. I think if somebody paid their hard-earned money and sat there in the freezing cold, they're kind of pot committed to to a certain extent. I think if you are somebody who, as a one-off, and you heard the Argos were rolling, ah, let's sorry, right, let's take the family on a, a Friday in June, and you saw that, then maybe you go, okay, that's enough for me. I don't need to come back. But I think you're going to sit out there, you're going to be in the elements, you're going to watch that game. I think you're you're kind of invested. So no, I don't I don't think this does anything. And I will say, I don't know if it's strictly that the team was performing better. And I don't know, maybe it's just like Bunk is screaming about it all the time. But I do feel like there's a touch more Argos buzz going on this year. Just in the city at whole, it yeah. be- seems like they're starting to build something there at BMO. And honestly, I'd I'd love for it to I'd love for it to be a thing. It always made sense once they moved outside and yeah. you could, you know, do all this stuff. It just, when I when I look at it, it's sad that they weren't able to complete it through, but I'm thrilled that it got the eyeballs that it did, honestly. Yeah, that's sports. Sometimes yeah. the, the, you expect greatness. You think and- anyone there cares about the Leafs? <laughs> well, they've done this before. No, I, honestly, it reminded me of uh, a, a, one of the many game one losses in Raptors, Raptors postseason. History. Yeah, and Dwayne Casey at the helm. And, yep. and you know how it happens in the postseason uh, for all the, the sports teams in the city mm-hmm. is that in the postseason, the news people who don't cover sports it's show up the for these things. And they ask questions that are, yeah. <laughs> eyebrow raising mm-hmm. and after one of these game one losses the question to Dwayne Casey was like do you feel like you need to apologize to the fans Amazing. like I, I, it's like what do you no this no. is we lost a game like the, a, we also <laughs> have never won one right. before by the way and then yeah which they, they uh, still did they still <laughs> lost game one in the, this met, is the magic the year they won the title this is kind of the beauty of sports too, right? That you get a team that was a double-digit favorite at home that was a historically great regular yeah. season team can throw up something like they did in 60 minutes against the Montreal Alouettes. I, I hope the momentum is building. It'd be nice to see. Totally. Yeah. The the Argos return to being a thing in the city of Toronto well, at BMO Field. And honestly, like, you know, God love the Jays, but with the exception of them, like it's a barren sports landscape. Like I know the Wolfpack was trying to get things going. I believe, and forgive me if I'm wrong, sorry, Wolfpack people, but this is kind of indicative of the buzz that they had and is mm-hmm. since gone. If it even exists anymore, there's just not, you know, it's like you go watch leaf games at Christie pits. There are other things to do, but it's like, this is next in line kind mm-hmm. of behind the Jays. So yeah, I, I do hope it, uh, I do hope it builds for sure. All right. When we come back, get back into the Leafs and are they different tangibly from a physicality standpoint, because they took two instigator penalties in the first period against the Vancouver Canucks. We'll play the clip from Sheldon Keefe at the conclusion of Saturday's game. Uh, we'll talk to our pal Gord Stelic as well next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Anders, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.